Hey, hey, what's up? Welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm your host, David Michael, and this is episode 194. Wow, it's, I can't believe it's been 194 episodes. 200 is coming up quick. Uh, 100 episode, 194 episodes of the Passionate DJ Podcast. And, uh, you know, it's the beginning of the year, and uh, that we always have a lot of really hardware-heavy content, mostly because the NAMM 2020 show was in January, and so that's when everybody announces their new DJ gear and all that stuff comes out, and we try to cover it all. And uh, there's a lot of planning and uh, you know research that goes into an episode like that. And uh, now that we're kind of past all that, and your feeds have probably calmed down a little bit from all that DJ news, from all the different channels that you follow, and you know Pioneer DJ popping up and Denon popping up and all that stuff, we wanted to get back to you guys, the fans, the passionate DJ community. And uh, if you are a longtime follower of the Passionate DJ uh, podcast or any of our other content, you're already aware that uh, we have the Passionate DJ community Facebook, uh, uh, private Facebook group. And uh, basically, this is just a way for us to all kind of get in touch, get to know each other a little bit, uh, and interact with people, uh, whether there are questions, uh, concerns, comments about the show, um, people just want to show off their gear, uh, introduction posts, we do all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's not a place for spam or promotion, with one exception, which is what we call Fire Away Fridays. Every Friday, you're allowed to post in a particular scheduled thread, so long as I remember to schedule it, and it'll go up there, um, goes up about uh, usually sometime before noon uh, Eastern Standard Time uh, is when we try to get it going up, uh, and everybody's allowed to promote basically anything that they want to promote, uh, you know, post your mix, post the event that you're playing or that you did play, uh, you know, if you have a recorded mix, you have a live stream coming up, anything that you want to kind of promote, you can put in that thread, and that's kind of the compromise that we make. And so, uh, it, you know, that way we kind of keep all the stuff that might be a little spammy if it was just in there all the time, uh, kind of contained to one day of the week and in one thread. Uh, and that seems to work pretty well for everybody. We have have had the occasional person complain about that policy, uh, but normally those are just people who are joining the group, you know, searching through Facebook, finding groups to just spam their mix or their product or their event and uh, we just have to politely let them know that that's not what this group is for with one exception so that's just something that i wanted to throw out there to uh, those of you who might be newer to passionate dj and are hearing about this group for the first time uh, make sure that you know that that's a, a policy that we have um, we also have the passionate dj marketplace which is a second group and that one that you can join um, if you're interested in seeing posts about uh, for sale, uh, buy, sale, trade, that kind of stuff uh, for, you know, DJ hardware, what have you. And that way, if you want to see those kind of posts, you can just go there, post that stuff or, you know, change your notification settings however you want. And we can keep that stuff out of the main group, which some people might find a little too spammy or just they might not be interested in that. They're here just to interact with the community do questions, comments, you know, long-form conversations, that sort of thing. Uh, lots of in advice being given and received in the Passion DJ Community Facebook group. Uh, uh, once again, you can get there, I guess I should mention how, uh, passionatedj.com slash community will just forward you right there to the Passion DJ Community private group on Facebook. Just click join. 
It'll ask three quick questions, um, you know, really basic. Uh, answer them however you want, and uh, we're just kind of making sure that you're an actual human who's interested in joining the group and not like a spam bot or something like that. And uh, me or one of the other guys will approve you and uh, will hopefully welcome you to the group here. There's a wide breadth of experience levels of uh, people, you know, sort of represented in the group. And so uh, it's kind of cool to have everybody come together because for the most part, uh, well, pretty much 100% of the time, it's a very civil, uh, very just good conversation rather than, you know, spam and bashing, which a lot of Facebook groups are. So, uh, you know, it's really a great resource and um, should definitely check it out. Once again, uh, passionatedj.com forward slash community. Uh, go ahead and join that group and become part of the conversation. Uh, so uh, one thing that I wanted to do today is just sort of go through the group. And, you know, I've been pretty busy myself. Um, there's actually been a lot of changes happening here in Passionate DJ Studios. Uh, if you're watching the YouTube version, you might be able to notice a few of the changes that I've made, uh, at least behind the booth. Uh, you don't have a really good shot of the front which has been entirely redone uh, thanks to the work of my uh, contractor and good friend, Bill Burton, who uh, is just making everything look nice and pretty in here. But I made some changes behind the booth to uh, kind of where I do my music production and just kind of my workspace, my actual desk, uh, mostly in the, uh, in the interest of better ergonomics. You know, I have back and neck problems. And the way that my desk is set up, you're kind of staring into the corner of the room. That's the way the desk is built and designed to, to be used. And I'm a multi-screen user. Uh, I like lots of screens for productivity. And I had dual screens, and they were in the corner of the room. And I just found that I was staring right at the seam of those two monitors. And so what that meant was if I was looking at one screen or the other... I had my head tilted one way or the other, which for somebody like me who has neck problems, uh, just a very small thing like that, just having my, my head turned one or two inches left or right, uh, you know, for an hour or two at a, at a time, let alone eight or nine hours, um, makes all the difference in the world. And so um, that was part of my sort of moving things around here. And it's kind of funny because I'm not really the only one. All of us co-hosts are going through this thing right now where we're sort of redoing our creative areas, our studio spaces. Uh, Mo and Trip both have kind of gone through this recently, uh, where they're both working on this at the same time, kind of rearranging their room. Um, and I'm not really sure exactly why we're going to actually talk to them, I think, and create some content about this. So I don't want to give too much away, either about, uh, you know, my studio or theirs. But uh, they, you know, rearrange some things, their uh, DJ's uh, monitors and their gear and stuff just to be, uh, you know, better flow for whatever reason. So I think that'll be a really interesting conversation because I know that some of the decisions I've made in here have come from years of being in here and having problems and then trying to solve those problems by, you know, that it's funny the solutions can be so simple as, as moving, you know, a piece of gear you know, three feet to the right or something fix like six or seven, might fix six or seven wiring problems or something just by relocating something. Uh, so trying to find simple solutions that make your life easier where you work and try to be creative every day, I think is really key. 
Now, that's not to say that all the work that I've been doing here in my room has been all for ergonomic reasons. Um, I'm not sure if the, the guys had that in mind or not. Uh, we'll talk to them about that soon. Uh, some of mine were purely aesthetic, though, um, which is why I actually don't have the camera. For those of you watching on YouTube, the camera's kind of zoomed in a little bit. I'm not showing you the uh, fronts of the bars just yet, but they've just been refinished, uh, have just a little bit of a wood grain thing going on now. Uh, they were st starting to be kind of an eyesore in the room. Everything else was getting nicer around them, and they started to look kind of ugly. And uh, so uh, he did what he's really good at, uh, Bill, my, our builder guy. Uh, which is working with me to come up with really cost-effective solutions to make things look uh, fancier or more upscale than they truly are and, and just helps uh, really work a deal with me on uh, making these, uh, you know, working with what I have to make things look a lot better. And so I've been doing a lot of that, uh, trying to make sure that this room looks really good from every angle uh, because we want to be able to shoot video in here and have it look good for you guys on YouTube no matter what. And so that's been a lot of my motivation working on this room. And, uh, you know, all that to say, I've been uh, really busy focused on that stuff. And I know the guys have been working on their spaces, too. Um, and we're excited to create community or create <laughs> content about that. But uh, I feel like I've sort of not been interacting with the community group as much. And so I felt like it was a good time to create uh, to record one of these episodes where we just sort of go in. And I just... Uh, you know, go through and find the questions and things to respond to in the community group uh, as a podcast episode, and then publish that. Uh, we'll post it in the group just as I always do, uh, and that way, uh, you know, you get some uh, interaction, you know, here in my own voice where we can, you know, maybe some of the stuff that I missed or, or didn't clarify or something before, uh, we can do that now. So, I'm basically just going to go uh, scroll through until we uh, kind of run out of time or run out of things to talk about here. But there's a lot of uh, good questions and comments here in the group. Of course, we have a Fireway Friday here, which I posted yesterday. Okay, so a new member, Rocky, asks, Thank you for the join, everyone. Love your YouTube videos. I've been a DJ since 1977 and have gone from vinyl to CD to digital. I do have a question. Will a Pioneer XDJ RX2 work with a laptop using Tractor Scratch Pro 2 software? Thank you. Okay, Rocky. So the XDJ RX2 is a uh, standalone DJ system from Pioneer. This is an earlier one. Of course, they, they have uh, recently released... Uh, a, you know, fancier, more expensive standalone hardware, but the XDJ RX2 was kind of the first one that was like, wow, this is really like a valid replacement for uh, two CDJs and like a, a two channel mixer. When you say Tractor Scratch, it makes me think you're trying to use time code with it. Um, and if you're trying to use like I don't think that's what you're trying to do because you're not using actual CDs. I think maybe what you're asking is can it be used in Tractor uh, using HID mode, which is the uh, sort of high-resolution um, uh, MIDI-like connection that gives you a proper uh, experience with Tractor where you're using it and it feels like a proper Tractor controller. Um, I don't believe that it is officially supported by the XDJ RX2. Uh, I see that Modingo posted something in the 
Native Instruments forums, I know people have done MIDI mappings of this. Um, I always hesitate, especially with Tractor, to tell people to do custom mappings because you're usually going to lose some functionality and some responsiveness because you're basically forcing it into more of a MIDI mode where you, you're using a slower connection, a slower protocol, and you're just not going to have as good of a time if you're trying to do stuff like uh, Scratch at all. Um, if you don't care about that at all and you just do like basic sync mixing or you do uh, long blend, you know, like techno style mixing, maybe you don't care so much about that. Um, so it, it can be made to work, but I don't think it properly works in the way that you would want it to, uh, in the way that you can make like CDJ uh, Nexus 2000s uh, work in Tractor in HID mode where they work, they act just like tractor controllers and it's a wonderful, seamless, glorious experience. Ronan, good friend of the show, says he went and got CDJs last week, learned the lesson that bigger isn't better with the gigabytes when it comes to thumb drives. Wasted money on a 200 plus gig when all I needed was a 32 max. My question is, do all thumb drives work the same? Or do others perform better than some? I'm sure there's already been a thread, but I'm interested now. <laughs> okay, so uh, Trip kind of jumped in on this a little bit, and he had some good advice right off the uh, the top of the thread. So I want to read that first. Uh, Trip says there are varying degrees of nominal versus maximum read and write speeds, and this is really nerdy, by the way. So if if those of you who, are, who aren't inclined uh, technically can just tune this couple of sentences out. But there are varying degrees of nominal versus maximum read-write speeds and failure rates between manufacturers and models. But for the most part, as long as you went with a decent brand and with an appropriate size for CDJ use, you're, most are fine and you normally won't notice a difference. And I think that's kind of the bottom line. Most people... Uh, worry about this, I think, more than necessary because of the outlying um, cases where something does go wrong. Um, my t two cents that I'll throw in on that is that uh, these thumb drives that I've been using uh, that I played oh, uh, at two years ago uh, as direct support for Sasha, um, I've played on uh, online streams with it, I've tagged with Tony and other friends, using these thumb drives and they are just basic sand disk um, like 32 gig and 16 gig uh, basic thumb drives that you find at Walgreens or you know just your your local pharmacy or, or corner store so I'm not saying that you should rely heavily on something like that um, and I always encourage people to read reviews when it comes to storage devices, especially stuff that you're coming to rely on. But I also think with something like a thumb drive that it's not meant to be permanent long-term storage. I think that you're better off buying two or three cheaper thumb drives than one really expensive one. Uh, I might be in, uh, you know, have some people disagree with me on that, but that's the way I approach things. I would rather have redundancy, um, and that was something that was kind of built into me uh, as my in my former life as a systems administrator. I just like having redundancy and backups, and I'd rather have, you know, five basic ass SanDisk 16 gig uh, drives than one huge expensive one. So that might be something to keep in mind as well. 
Trip also suggests a specific Samsung metal bar model that he loves. Um, they he bought four of them: two in matte black and two in uh, matte black, sorry, and two in shiny chrome. They're 32 gigs each, which were plenty for his needs. Um, and I'll go ahead and post a link in the show notes to those ones that he's using. Uh, but once again, just read the reviews. Try to find something with a, a higher transfer rate and, uh, you know, mostly positive reviews. If you see something that has, you know, common problems like files went bad, files went bad, and that's like half the reviews, obviously stay away. Um, but besides that, uh, consider just the redundancy. Consider buying two cheaper ones or three cheaper ones instead of one really expensive one. That would be my advice to throw in on that thread. Now, Anthony chimes in for what it's worth saying that uh, there are varying differences in read and write speeds. Some to avoid are Micro Center, XDK, E-Anything, and all other budget drives. SanDisk, PNY, and Samsung drives are all made in the same plant and using the same components. So something to keep in mind there. I, like I said, I use SanDisk and Samsung and uh, haven't had any problems personally. Isaac posted, I'd like to request a slow clap for myself and anyone that is about to finish sorting that new music crate that we drop all our downloaded music into. Or maybe it's just me that does this, but anyways, I have 180 songs. 187 songs left in mind so there's a light at the end of the tunnel man isaac i feel your pain on this one my uh mine is called uh i think it's just called new Mu incoming music uh, and my incoming music folder is literally years long now at some point it stopped becoming my uh, new music folder and just became my DJ crate that I was DJing out of all the time. And I've done this two, three, four times over the course of my uh, the you know digital DJing career. So apparently that tends to be a bad habit that I have. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm not sure that I have any advice to give on that. Uh, Nikolai responded, "Sorting, what's that?" Uh, Anthony responds, "Mine is labeled unsorted, and I feel this post." Matthew says, mine's need sort now. The past me trying to convince the current me to do work. <laughs> I'm lucky to have it below 100 tunes ever. Yeah, I, this must be like the curse of the digital DJ. It just uh, that incoming or sort me kind of uh, music folder just grows and grows. And then it just becomes the source of your music until you end up having to give up for some reason or another, either by choice or out of necessity. Uh, keep your backups, people. And, uh, yeah, that's how you end up with a new sort my music folder, which becomes uh, way, way too big all over again. And thus the cycle continues. Antonio posted something funny tagging me in it. I think David Michael will especially like this one. And it's uh, sort of a, a photo or a meme. And it says cruising down the street in my 6-4. And it's a picture of Easy e but he's sitting on a... Nintendo 64 kind of dressed up to look like a car so the the four controller ports are like headlights and they put wheels on it and cruising down the street in my 64 so that's that's pretty funny so for those of you who've been following me uh, me for a while you'll know that I started a personal YouTube channel uh, which you can get to at uh, well, the easy way is go to passionatedj.com slash David and uh, currently that will forward you to my my personal channel and I've been doing like gaming related content um, hoping to do a lot more uh, retro gaming especially uh, content over there 
but also a lot of crossover content with Passionate DJ. And uh, probably one of the things that I'll be doing over there, kind of speaking to what we were talking about earlier with the DJ setups, is I'm like way, way long overdue for doing a, uh, a tour of Passionate DJ Studios, or basically it would probably be like a combined uh, uh, Passionate DJ Studios slash game room tour, because they're actually the same room where I have my uh, game collection and uh, where I record uh, all our YouTube videos and all that stuff. It's in one big shared room. And I've been wanting to do a, uh, a tour video for uh, really for years now, uh, but I keep making changes and making changes to the room. And I think, though there are more changes to come to the room, this is kind of an ever-evolving multi-purpose space, um, I think it's uh, far along enough now that it's ready for the video. And uh, I'd like to share with you guys sort of like, you know, the custom things that I did to the room and why I designed the room the way that I did uh, sort of to, to cust, uh, custom serve my needs and the needs of Passionate DJ and my gaming hobby and uh, all that kind of fun stuff. So, yeah, just uh, check out the uh, the personal YouTube channel, uh, passionatedj.com slash David. And by the way, the, uh, just a reminder, those short links uh, for all of us co-hosts will just continue to post uh, to, to point to whatever each of us want to promote at that particular time. So just go to passionatedj.com slash David, Tony, Trip, or Mo, and it will take you to whatever personal link uh, that we want to promote at that time, and you don't have to uh, remember anything else. So that might point to a SoundCloud or MixCloud account or a, a YouTube video or a live stream or an event or whatever it is, uh, but you, all you have to do is remember what our names are. So uh, something to bear in mind. Gabriel posts, where do you keep your DJ collection? My goal has always been to keep everything in one giant collection to reduce any overhead that comes from moving and managing tracks and gets in the way of casual mixing. I mix unprofessionally, just for fun, so it has to be easy. Well, that's a great point. I'm going to pause right there and say that it's, it's very... Um, the self-awareness that you have just in in saying that sentence uh, should be commended. I mean, I mix unprofessionally just for fun, so it has to be easy. I, I can't stress how important that sentence is, that you know what your goal is with DJing and that you know what you have to do to keep enjoying it. And I think that that is, you're, you're really on a path towards long-term happiness with that. So just kudos for, for having that sort of um, uh, self-awareness. I mainly use Apple Music for streaming and Sonos for listening at home nowadays. I've used Tractor and DJ Pro for my DJ needs for a few years, and now I'm looking at the new Denon Prime Go standalone DJ console. I've had all my songs in iTunes, which worked well until I switched over to mainly streaming songs. I have my entire collection available everywhere on my computers, phones, and Sonos, but it doesn't work well for mixing. Yeah, I totally agree with where you're going here. It'll be more work keeping two collections somewhat in sync. I think it might be worth it. I mostly listen to old EDM anyway. Okay, so that's uh, that's a lot to uh, to digest there, but let's see. They kind of summarize it here. Do you have all your tracks in one giant collection, both for DJing and personal listening, or do you have separate collections? 
what things have you done to improve your workflow? Wow, this is a great question. Where do you keep your DJ collection? Do you keep your DJ collection with your listening collection? Um, so the way that I'll answer this, and I've talked about this on the show before, is that for listening purposes, personally, I am fully 100% in the cloud. I'm, I'm all in on streaming. Um, I've had a Spotify premium account since before it was cool, right? Um, since like 2011 or 2012. Um, I used YouTube uh, for music. I don't have a YouTube music account, but there's plenty of music on YouTube that I listen to. Um, I, I almost always look something up and stream it when I want to just listen to it anymore. Unless it's something old or obscure or something that I've recorded or one of my friends sent me or something like that. Um, it usually comes from Spotify or YouTube. So uh, I personally don't have, I, I'm not going to say I don't have, I do have a, a, a large MP3 collection, um, but I, I stopped adding to it uh, probably 2012 or so because streaming just became so much more convenient for me. I'm somebody who's always kind of um, doing different things. I'm always on the go in the sense that I'm always I'm either working in here in the studio or I'm working in my house or I'm working at the office, which is around the corner from my house. And I'm always kind of hopping around. And so, you know, having that mobility is really important to me. And so just being able to have access to my playlists and have them show up on my laptop, on my iPhone, on my TV, on my PlayStation, wherever I am, all my stuff is just there and I can turn it on and jam and it's no problem. Um, I've always felt like my, my DJ collection has been lagging behind in this area. Like uh, it's the only thing that I still collect digital files for. And I, I'm still, you know, I play... Uh, quote-unquote underground techno and house music and stuff like that so i i get stuff on beatport or wherever and download the digital file and i put it in my incoming music or my sort me folder uh, where it stays for eternity um, and i think that's part of why i have that problem is because um you know i, I i'm i'm an it nerd from way back i'm a computer geek from birth and I went through that phase especially through the 90s and the early 2000s where I was a digital hoarder when I discovered that I could find things and collect them and hard drives became cheaper and cheaper and oh man you could buy the first terabyte sized hard drive that was crazy and so you know start hoarding all kinds of digital files and, and movies and ROMs or whatever what have you uh, allegedly um, and you know, that's just not where I'm at anymore. It's not really where we're at with tech anymore. Uh, things are a lot cloudier. Broadband is a lot more accessible. Uh, and you almost create a lot more risk for yourself by having a single point of failure for files like that when you can just store it in the cloud or just play it on Spotify. Um, you're just kind of not relying on it in the same way. So, you know, I think that this this merging of DJ software with streaming services that we're seeing a really hard push for, especially right now, a lot of DJ com uh, software companies have announced their integration with uh, Tidal, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. 
this is was an inevitable thing. I think that I, I'm really surprised it took this long for this level of integration to happen with DJ community. Um, but you know, it's kind of a slow moving ship. I mean, that you know, hardware has to support it, software has to support it, and uh, not to mention the licensing involved with something like that. So, yeah, it's taken a while to get to this point. Um, and that's where I think, you know, algorithm, I think really sees the writing on the wall for this. They see that integrating with all the, all the things streaming is in their best interest. And that's what they've been doing. And, uh, other companies are really following suit now, but I think algorithm really kind of made their mark, uh, you know, in the space by, by doing that. Uh, so it's interesting to see that that's happening. Uh, personally to, to better answer the question, um, I have two separate collections. I listen to things mostly streaming or on my old ass collection that I've been building since I was a teenager that still exists on a couple hard drives. You know, I'm either listening to that or I've got my DJ collection. But I don't tend to buy or play the tracks that I DJ at the same time as my, my listening music. Uh, most of that stuff, because of the kind of stuff I play, um, I, I try to build an hour of music or two hours of music rather than just listening to one of those tracks. Some of them don't do much on their own if I don't use it for something. And so I've always kind of kept that separated in my head. That might not make sense for somebody who plays and listens to the same music in their leisure time. If, if there's a crossover there, you know, maybe there's uh, some merit to keeping those together. But I really think that uh, streaming is going to be the future, um, and we should just uh, embrace it. I see Tripp gave a response here. He says, personally, I have my listening music collection that I've amassed over the years, several hundred gigs of MP3s of music that I'd like to just listen to, not DJ. So I think rock, alternative, rap, hip-hop, blues, etc. However, I can't tell you the last time I actually listened to anything on it, seeing as I use the paid Spotify service for ad-free streaming of most of that stuff, and then some. Yeah, same, same situation with me. He says, then I have my separate main collection of all the stuff I use to DJ, electronic music mostly, with a little rap and hip-hop mixed in, uh, mostly for samples. It's all broken down to folders by date in which it was purchased or acquired, then properly analyzed, normalized through platinum notes, and tagged. Then from that main collection, songs will go to thumb drives or external drives as needed for gigs. Okay, so you kind of cherry pick from one main collection uh, it, and create sort of a smaller gig crate, kind of the, the approach of building an actual record crate and carrying that physical crate with you of records to the gig. Um, I take a similar approach, by the way, so I, I can relate to that. I tend to look at my larger collection and then go, okay, but here's the stuff that I want to see tonight. That is kind of the thing, too. It's like, how how much integration do you want um, when, when you're dealing with local files? Do you want, you know, to have a library that has analyzed everything that you're going to DJ and everything that you just listened to? I, I, I see where your, your conflict is, uh, the original poster here, uh, with, uh, you know, do, how many collections do I want to keep track of? Oh, this will be fun to do. So... Uh, in, let's see, the beginning of January, I can't remember which day, uh, there was National Trivia Day, and one thing that I did was I posted five different Passionate DJ trivia questions 
uh, in there in the Passionate DJ community group uh, to see who could answer these questions. So these are kind of scattered randomly through here. Uh, this happens to be the second one that I posted that day, but I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, what is Trip Turlington's alter ego DJ name? Uh, we got all kinds of answers in here, and I said bonus points if you could spell it. I saw Trip Turkleton, that's from John Chapel. Uh, Steve Gilson says Derp Ferkelstein. <laughs> we had all kinds of. My favorite was Jared Wise, that's uh, Jared from Crystal Grid. He said Drip Burlington. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yes, let's see. The first person to get it right was Steve Rasky. Says, is that Rasky? I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Uh, but Steve says, digital psychosis. Uh, yeah, and that is correct. Digital psychosis. Uh, and uh, I'll just leave you to look up how to spell that. But <laughs> uh, that is his uh, four to the floor, trance, uh, techno, uh, dark techno kind of uh, uh, moniker for Trip Turlington. Rita says, thanks for the accept. I have a question. What's the best program to change a track's key without losing too much of the quality? And is there a dedicated one? Hmm, I feel like I should have an answer offhand for that. The, the first thing that pops in my head is Ableton can do that, but that's not exactly a dedicated tool specifically for that task. Uh, it would probably just be the ideal tool. Uh, let's kind of look in the thread here. Um... Yeah, see, so Trip responds, Ableton's warp mode, <laughs> yeah, same thing, uh, should be able to handle this, just know for the best results, you don't want to go too far. Any hard editing to a file like that results in damage to the waveform. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Kind of further down responds that probably the light version has it, so okay, yeah, and there's a YouTube video in there, how to transpose the key in Ableton Live 9, so uh, yeah. Absolutely. There's definitely a software out there. Anthony says Z-Plane Elastic Pro. Their algorithm is what both Tractor and Denon use. So maybe a couple suggestions there in the comments for uh, trying to change a key without uh, damaging the file too much. Okay, so here's a good thing to uh, talk about really quick. So I posted in January. Uh, it's that time again. We're looking for bad gig stories. Post those hilarious, weird awkward, depressing, or otherwise bad stories from behind the booth. We'll combine our favorites for Bad DJ Gigs 3. So obviously we've done two of these before, Bad DJ Gigs and Return of Bad DJ Gigs, and we want to do a third one. It's one of our favorite series, and it's been a long time since we've done one of these. Uh, so yeah, anything that has just been like the worst DJ gig ever, uh, bonus points if they're funny. <laughs> we like the funny stories. Uh, but just tell us about, you know, some struggle, some just terrible, awful gig. Uh, either get in the group and post those up, or you can email us, uh, podcast at passionatedj.com. Uh, if you have uh, one of the better stories, we'll read them on the air, share them with our audience. Uh, share your experience with us and let us know uh, your bad DJ gig stories. Another one from National Trivia Day. We once recorded Ballin' on a Budget. What's its counterpart episode titled? And Jeremiah Rice got it right, right off the bat. The counterpart title is called Ballin' Out of Control. So we did Ballin' on a Budget, where we had a strict limit on what we could spend, and then we did Ballin' Out of Control, building a sort of quasi-dream setup. Another trivia question, four or five. In what year did Passionate DJ begin? 
and uh, Alona got it correct. It was 2013, so we are seven years in on our journey with Passionate DJ and the Passionate DJ podcast. Pretty exciting, uh, pretty hard to believe. Seven years is just amazing. Uh, blows my mind. I'm getting all our trivia ones here in a row. The first one I posted. Uh, what's the name of the outside studio from which we used to record the Passionate DJ podcast? What's the name of the outside studio from which we used to record the Passionate DJ podcast? I don't think anybody got this right. Um, I'm going to check the comments real quick, but nope. I even posted a couple of pictures with some hints, and nobody seemed to remember. So what I was talking about there, the outside studio where we used to record was called Dayton Studios. Uh, this was a, uh, a, a, sh a space where we were trying to sort of uh, build a, a collaborative space for doing different kinds of uh, graphic editing, photography, music uh, production, DJing, um, you know, video editing, just trying to combine, you know, make this, uh, this space. I say we, I wasn't really part of it. I was just, I would help on the side a little bit and we were recording the podcast there. Uh, and that was, oh, it's been a couple of years ago now. Um, but we were recording there. We recorded at Trip Turlington's house for a while, and now we primarily record right here in Passionate DJ Studios. And National Trivia Day, I think this would be the final one, three of five. We frequent a certain record store for special episodes, such as the Holiday Record Exchange. Name it. So what's the name of the record store that me and the guys visit for special episodes? Uh, nobody got this one either. I was surprised, but it is Omega Music in the Oregon District downtown in Dayton, Ohio on 5th Street. Uh, great record store, big place, uh, huge selection, all kinds of great stuff in there. Uh, and we, we tend to go there for, you know, holiday record exchange or just to want to go in there and see what we can find. It's a great place. Ooh, this is a good one. So John says, in creating a DJ mix, how do you create flow? I'm a relatively new DJ. For my own personal amusement, I spin Glitch Hop. I've created a few mixes, improving with each one. My earlier mix, the song started to drag on while moving into the transition. This mix I just created, I tried to remedy that by getting into the meat of the song quickly. But now it seems I'm losing the intent for each track. How do you get it just right? Okay, so he wants to keep the mix from dragging on, but still have context. Uh, think of your music collection as pieces of music rather than individual songs. So maybe uh, to keep something from dragging on, maybe you play less intro and outro, or maybe you play less meat of the song if you can find a place to quick mix in and out of it in a way that isn't too jarring for your audience or your particular scenario. Um, I like to think of, uh, you know, musical elements rather than just songs in my crate. Um, it, I know that that's only really true if you're using, like, mixing stems or something like that, but, you know, it, as modern digital DJs, we have access to loops and samplers and all that kind of stuff, and so we can really use those kind of tools to our advantage to sort of grab something when it's convenient to get in and out uh, and move on to the next thing if we just are reading the crowd and we feel like that the track that we're playing right at that particular moment isn't hooking anybody it's not grabbing anybody you didn't see 
you know, somebody move onto the dance floor. You didn't see that person start tapping their foot or shuffling their feet. And you got nothing. Take a hint and get out of it. Um, I think that that's a, a valid approach. Devin says, try longer transitions, dropping elements from the next song into the previous song to keep things moving. So in other words, uh, doing a lot more overlapping to keep things interesting. Barry suggests that you may be more concerned about the transitions, but uh, you might want to worry more about programming your set to have that rise, climax, and resolution from start to end. And that's a great point, too. Thinking of your set as, as uh, you know, instead of the different individual parts, you know, seeing the forest for the trees. I want to start here, I want to have some sort of climax, and then I want to resolve that climax uh, before I hand it off to the next DJ or whatever it is, end of the night, whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, and so trying to play things that are contextually appropriate to whatever's happening in the venue right there um, is really going to help with that. And I think that also really just comes down to crowd reading. Uh, Mo Dingo, co-host, he says, just keep practicing until you find that sweet spot wait a few days, then re-listen. In the moment, we tend to be more critical of ourselves. So what he's talking about there is recording the set and then not listening to it for self-criticism right away, but maybe sitting on it for a week or so. And then coming back and listening to it because you might be surprised at how either good or bad it sounds. In my uh, experience, usually when I record something, I'm really critical in the moment. And I'm like, oh man, I just I, that mix was slipping, especially if I'm playing vinyl, right? Like I, I hear it go off time and then I make corrections and stuff. And in the moment, I'm like, wow, that's the worst mix that any DJ has ever made. I should be ashamed of myself. And if I listen to it right away, I'll still think that. But then sometimes I'll put the file away for a couple of days. I'll come back to it and listen to it and go, what was I so worried about? That sounded kind of awesome. Or there, that was cool. There was tension there. It wasn't a train wreck, you know. And so for, for me, that tends to be the case. But I think that uh, what Mo's saying here is we come back to it later uh, with a, a, a different critical ear, uh, maybe where we can be slightly more objective than right when we were creating it. And then I actually did reply in this thread. I'll go ahead and read my response here, uh, which is that I said that I think that there's danger of overthinking this. So if you're making a mix from which you want to express yourself as an artist, it doesn't matter. You do what you feel. In other words, there is no wrong way to do it. But if you're DJing as a service, so like as a wedding DJ or something like that, then every scenario is different. It may be more important to react on the spot than to have something that would flow, quote unquote, if you heard it independently. Now, Sean Freeman made a post, and he's a, a very active uh, conversation starter in the group, um, longtime follower of the show. He said, just want to give props to this community without all the jerk face egos. No questions are ever underlooked or uh, are ever underlooked at or mocked. It just does not happen here. Thanks to the Ohio headquarters that reach a global mass. You make all of us feel like priority one. Thanks, David Michael, Mo Dingo, Trip Turlington, Tony DeSero, the Quad Groover production. <laughs> uh, you flatter us, Sean, but thank you so much. Um, that's really all we want uh, people to feel is that they're kind of uh, sitting in on the conversation no matter where they are. They don't have to be here in Dayton with us. Um, but we want to give that kind of feeling that we're just ha kind of having a coffee, having a conversation, or sharing a beer or something, and uh, talking about this DJ stuff. Uh, we're not necessarily gurus. We're not teachers or masters of anything. Uh, but we have a lot of experience. We have a lot of knowledge. We have a lot of things to share. 
and we really care about the art and the craft and the science of mixing music. We care about preserving the art and telling people where the stuff came from. Um, we care about uh, we care about what we love. That's why this is the Passionate DJ podcast. And so, um, just like other passionate DJs here in the group, and those of you who follow us, uh, we care a lot about this stuff, and uh, we just want to share it with all of you who resonate with uh, the stuff that we like to share. And we hope that you're uh, staying with us along the journey and that you're enjoying it. Christian says, "Anyone have thoughts on the Reloop Cut mixer?" Um, a few thoughts. Uh, it's a great uh, battle mixer that comes in at a great price point. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'll tell you what, I'll look it up right now. Reloop Cut. Yeah, the Reloop Cut, but it's about $600. And so basically this is the, uh, the, the digital battle mixer that's uh, it's kind of bare bones. It really it speaks back to the time in battle mixers, uh, if you'll remember, like the the Vestax battle mixers. This really looks like something like that. Um, and I, I think that it's a, a great option because it's uh, Reloop is really good at delivering on value for the price. They give you know high build quality generally for the price, and you know they will they will take away features before they will take away quality, at least in my experience with Reloop gear. Uh, so while I don't have any particular hands-on experience with something like the Reloop Cut, uh, and honestly it would be kind of wasted on me because I'm not that good of a scratch DJ, um, but what I see of it, it's, it's very reminiscent of uh, something like the, uh, the Vestax mixers of, of old. And uh, I think that uh, you should go for it if that's the kind of thing that you want. If you don't care about having like fancy Serato waveform screens and stuff on it on something like the Rain 72, um, then uh, this is an option that's a little bit more old school in its approach, uh, both in the way it works and the way it looks. Now, Sean Freeman had also posted, this was kind of getting back further, this was back in December, but he said that he was uh, looking for some new studio monitors and was considering the KRK Rockets. Uh, they actually recently came out with a new revision of the, the Rockets, and these are really common, really popular, uh, especially in the, the budget and the home, uh, the home studio community, uh, really popular option because of their performance for the price. Uh, they're not meant to be super-duper high-end by any means, but they, um, f they really kind of have a bang-for-buck thing going on, and they just came out with, I think they're called the G2 Rockets, uh, which I haven't really had a chance to play with yet. Uh, but he was asking if uh, uh, the rockets in general, if they truly sound good, or what's the uh, you know best alternative. Some people suggested the Yamahas. They're kind of in a, a similar place. Went back and forth a little bit on that, and then he ended up actually buying the rockets. And uh, so far, Sean post in the uh, the comments of this episode if you uh, if you're listening to this, but let us know if you're still in love with them. But apparently, uh, it was a good purchase. So, congrats! I hope you're enjoying those rockets. Uh, personally, I use a set of event monitors. They're called ALP fives, and they are uh, really lesser known. They're a five-inch cone, and I've had them for I don't know 15 plus years. Uh, and the only reason I still have them is because they haven't died. They keep on ticking, so I keep on using them. Um, but uh, they're really weak on the low end, and I ended up actually adding a sub. Uh, but I just felt like I couldn't work. I, every time I would 
you know, create a mix down, I would go listen to it in the car or something, and it would just sound like a disaster because um, I couldn't hear the bass and it was overpowering. So, uh, yeah, that's the only thing that I keep in mind. Uh, you know, is, is this actually a monitoring environment, and what are you exaggerating by either having a big he bass-heavy uh, sort of what they call disco smile type of speaker where your treble and bass are exaggerated versus something that has a flat response and what is your actual intent for those speakers. Now a while back I posted a question of the week and that's another thing that I've been trying out though sometimes I miss them and so they, they've been less consistent than Fire Away Fridays but I posted a question of the week that was what would you like to know about Passionate DJ specifically and uh, my friend Heather posted and it seems like it's this is actually a question for me rather than about Passionate DJ, but I'll go ahead and read it here. Heather says, at what age did you decide that you wanted to create music? Was this self-taught or did you go to school for music or both? What was your inspiration? I've always been fascinated with music since I can remember. Writing, listening, mashing up, dancing. I taught myself at a young age to play a few instruments and can play some songs just by matching pitch. You are very talented. Well, thank you, Heather. I appreciate that. Um, so, that's a lot. Let's see. At what age did you decide you wanted to create music? About? It depends on what you mean by create music, but I decided that I wanted to play music at about the age of seven. That's when I started piano lessons. Uh, so that kind of goes into the next point. What Was this self-taught or did you go to school for music? So I started piano lessons at seven, eight years old, and then I took lessons for 10 years, uh, classical piano through the what's called the Suzuki method. Uh, so I, I was classically trained through a Japanese program to play uh, European classical music. <laughs> um, and uh, also took some classes with her, my, my piano teacher, on uh, composing music and, and things like that. Um, it turned out that uh, even though I took those 10 years of music, whether it's um, it's a lack of adequate practice or there's just something that doesn't translate well in my brain, but I'm just not a great sight-reading piano player. I never have been. Um, it, it, for whatever reason, takes my brain too long to, to process all the sharps and flats, the accidentals, and remember what key I'm in and check the interval and do that with 10 fingers. Um, I, I can't do that in a way that I can when I memorize or improvise or play something by ear. And so what I ended up taking from those, uh, uh, from that knowledge and from that, that decade of piano lessons is um, I do have great technique. I do have great ear. I have, um, you know, I can improvise here and there. Um, but I can't just like pop up sheet music and start playing something. Um, or I, I can't in my current state. Uh, maybe if I practiced more, I could. But what I took from that was uh, creating the music, improvising the music, composing. Um, I use that knowledge in my DJing with key mixing, uh, when uh, producing dance music, you know, creating uh, chord progressions. I've used it to create music for my whole life. So I've never considered it wasted though I wish that I was a better technical player when it comes to sight reading. 
what that translates to as a piano player is it means I have to memorize everything and then I can play pretty well. But uh, I've got to I've got to learn it first. And I wish I was better at just doing that like old church lady thing where you just open a hymnal and start playing. I've been terrible at that my whole life. So uh, what was my inspiration? Um, mostly my parents, uh, it, it, meaning if you mean my musical inspiration. Um, so they, I grew up listening to a lot of funk, like Parliament and Morris Day in the Time and stuff like that, uh, as well as uh, what at the time was kind of considered here in the Midwest, kind of weirder European stuff that my dad listened to, uh, Tangerine Dream, Kraftwerk, and you know just whatever. Um, and so I, I took a lot of musical inspiration from them as well as from my upbringing in church. My parents were both involved uh, very heavily in things like choir. And so I grew up hearing, um, you know, our, our music director say, okay, now the altos sing this harmony. Okay, now the baritones sing this part. And hearing that broken down, and then hearing them all sing in unison and how those parts work together, hearing that, you know, multiple times a week for many years through my entire childhood and teenage years uh, really taught me a lot about uh, semitones and harmony and the way the music parts work together. And so that stuff has always been pretty natural to me and uh, kind of a piece of cake when it comes to, to DJing. So that's the part of DJing that comes easier to me uh, as opposed to something like uh, scratching, which I really struggle with but want to learn and get better at. So Anthony shared a post that was from originally from Hell Negative, and it said, Are you prepared to play on any equipment that is on hand at your next gig? I use Record Buddy to sync my playlist, cue points, and tags between Record Box, Serato, and Tractor. How do you stay prepared? Uh, so I did reply to this when it was posted, um, and basically my response was that for me personally, I'm not necessarily recommending this. Uh, this is just what works for me. I've always been really lazy in regards to track prep with DJing. And I think that that's because I tend to rely on my ear quite a bit. And maybe that's because of all that music history in, in my childhood and my background with piano and stuff. I can pick up very quickly whether or not something's in key with the incoming track and, and adjust accordingly and that, and that sort of thing. Um, I spent a lot of time over the years playing unprepped tracks to crowds uh, because, especially with something like Tractor that's so bang on with, you know, even if I'm mixing totally digitally and I'm like using the sync button and not even really trying to do anything impressive, uh, that gives me plenty of time to sort of go in and uh, uh, listen to what tracks are going to work well technically with each other and then use that time to make those kind of decisions. Uh, usually, though, even when I'm playing with Tractor, I've got, uh, you know, Tractor Scratch. I've got, you know, records or some kind of decks going. And I use that to just, uh, you know, find those tracks that are going to work well together. Um, anyways, that to say, um, I've been in a little bit of DJing hiatus when it comes to this uh, as of late because I'm historically personally a tractor user and I didn't really care about anything else. I just kind of brought what I had to the gig and would just do the tractor thing. Um, but it became over time, you know, that was back when nobody here locally really had any proper quote unquote gear uh, that is pioneer stuff. 
to play at any of the gigs. And so for many years here in the Midwest, it was sort of on you to have a working DJ setup that you could use whenever you needed to, or else you are just going to be severely limited on your gigs. And so after you become so invested in Tractor that it became kind of like, I just didn't worry about it. Well, then over time it became more convenient to have uh, to be able to play on CDJs or on a Pioneer setup. Places started to have them or provide them for events and stuff. And so uh, what people like me and Tony DeSero did was sort of meet in the middle and start using our CDJs as tractor controllers. And, and uh, you know, we would just bring a little USB hub and plug everything in and still do our tractor thing but use the CDJs and still beat match and all that. Good middle ground. Um, but as you know tractor has kind of fallen off and has been losing favor in the past year or two with djs there have been less and less big updates and big major changes uh and so i've gone more and more record box over the past couple of years uh you know trip's got a denon setup now and so i don't know if he's i think he's probably still using record box to export his stuff but you know it's it, it kind of sucks when stuff split off in different directions, but for me, I don't really stress over it because one thing that I did back when I was learning how to DJ in 2005 or so, I was teaching myself and I bought an old ass set of CDJs. I'm talking top loading CDJ 700s. Uh, they, they were Pioneer branded. They came out in like 94, 95 and uh they were terrible and they had like 0.1 percent pitch resolution <laughs> they were but it was one of those things like if you could figure out how to mix on that and you could figure out how to mix on these techniques 1200s which by the way i also got a killer deal on i'm not going to tell you how much i spent but it's the cheapest pair of techs i've ever seen ever uh, i just stole it and uh, right after that they got discontinued that first time prices shot way up so i got super lucky so I had a pair of tables, I had a pair of old school CDJs, and I had Tractor. And I was like, I'm going to focus on learning all of these so that I can play on anything. And that's what I did. If you just learn how to DJ, then you don't have to learn how to Serato or learn how to Tractor uh, or, or learn how to virtual DJ. You're just learning how to DJ. And once you can translate that from one platform to another you're pretty much golden and then you do a lot less sweating and worrying about playing on a different kind of setup. So now when I encounter a Denon setup or a Pioneer setup or a Serato setup or whatever it is, I just go, oh, okay, um, where's the Q system? Where's the, the Q play? Where's the, yeah, okay, got it. And then you just figure it out and you just do the damn thing. And I think that that's, personally, that's how I stay prepared is I try my best to always play on new stuff rather than avoid it. Okay, so I think that's probably going back far enough. We're starting to get back into uh, further back into last year now. Uh, just wanted to take that time to sort of catch up with you members of the community. Once again, join us, please. If you haven't done it yet, we try to hammer this home every episode because we like interacting with you, and this is the easiatest way for us to do it. Go to passionatedj.com slash community. 
join the Facebook group. It is a private group, but we'll accept you as long as you're a real human who wants to contribute and participate. Uh, try not to spam us. Just watch out for that Fire Away Friday post. It'll pop up, and then you can spam away to your heart's content, and nobody will yell at you. Um, and uh, join that Passionate DJ Marketplace if you want to see buy, sell, trade stuff. Uh, get in there and do that. And uh, once again, passionatedj.com slash our host names for whatever we want to promote. Check out my personal YouTube channel. I'm trying to promote it. I've been doing uh, weekly Sunday quickie little vinyl mixes on Sundays and kind of live stream streaming them to my personal YouTube channel. And uh, just trying to do, you know, five to eight tracks, uh, really quick in and out stuff like 20 minutes. Uh, just to kind of keep a little pace and get back to DJing again, playing records. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, so passionatedj.com slash David, check us out. And uh, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Passionate DJ Podcast. And keep on spinning. Peace.